turn in your Bibles to Acts, the second chapter. And no, this is not one of the Lost Truth series, <laughs> although you might could squeeze it into one of those sermons. But in Acts, the second chapter, we want to start there this morning, and I want to talk to you basically a message on evangelism, which is an area I don't know that you really need further instruction on it because you're so good at it. <laughs> but it's been on my mind for a number of weeks in terms of the future of Christianity in our nation, in terms of the future of this church and our community. And I want to talk to you about that as we look at the pattern of the book of Acts. And the title of this message is Gather, Scatter, and Scatter to Gather. Y'all say that ten times in a row. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? Gather, scatter, and then scatter to gather. Because that's the pattern of evangelism that we get from the book of Acts. And I hope you'll see and be encouraged that it's this, the pattern that I see many of you using. So let's consider personal evangelism as we look at Acts the second chapter. Look at verse 40. It says, With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward or crooked generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And turn over to Acts, the fourth chapter. And I want you to look at verse 4. Acts 4 and 4. It says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. That was the number of the men. That doesn't count the women and children, see? So there was more than 5,000. Probably could be 10,000. All right, look over in Acts, the fifth chapter, just a page or two over, and look at verse 14. It says that believers were the more added to the church, multitudes, both of men and of women. Now, the last verse that I want you to get is in Acts, the eighth chapter, as we consider the text of gathered and scattered and then scatter to gather. It says in Acts the 8th chapter that Saul was consenting unto his death. That's Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Okay, so here's the pattern of evangelism from the book of Acts. There was a great gathering in Jerusalem. And remember, it was the day of Pentecost. It's when the apostles spoke in these different languages. And there was mighty signs and wonders and miracles being done. And you can see 3,000 people in, on that day of Pentecost joined the church and were baptized. That probably took them a while to baptize all those people. <laughs> and then a few days later, they continued to preach and miracles continued to be done. And they continued to share the gospel. And you have about 5,000 men... That puts you at 8,000. And if you figure women and children were in addition to the men that are named, we're well over 10,000, maybe 12, to be conservative, say 11 or 12,000 members of this first primitive church. Okay, then you go on and you see where it says as they preached and as they taught, multitudes were added to the church. So I think a safe conservative estimate of the size of that first primitive church is 20 to 25,000. That's a lot of people. (laughs) 
Now look, remember this. This is not a pattern for the modern-day megachurch. The modern-day megachurch, which I'll use the word church lightly, and I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm not trying to be critical, but you just you need to hear this. The modern-day megachurch is the opposite of the pattern that God gives us of where they gathered together and then they scattered. And when they scattered out to the little communities and the towns and the cities, they began to gather people into the congregations in each of those locations. So megachurch is such a term today that we're all familiar with. And I don't know if you read much about how so many of these megachurches are falling apart because of misconduct of the leaders, misconduct of the youth group leaders, misconduct of this, that, or the other. You know, the, the people that are running those megachurches are running a business. You've got to understand that. They're running a business. And their business has to do with money and people. That's their business. Okay, look, it is what it is, but I just don't want you to be captivated by those large numbers. And I'm not trying to captivate you with the 20 or 25,000 member church. It's the only evidence of any kind of mega church that's in the Bible. And it only lasted a short period of time. And then the pattern was that they were scattered. And as they scattered, they began to gather people in in their own communities. I've heard this put forth and I don't know for sure. I would not be surprised that all of the people that Paul names in the last chapter of Romans, he names 25 or 30 something people, individuals that he calls by name, greet so-and-so, tell so-and-so, basically I said hello or I'll see them soon. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the entire membership of the church at Rome, 30 something. (laughs) And you know, Rome was huge. It was tremendous. There is no pattern In the scripture, following Jerusalem, there is no example given of any type of what we would call a megachurch following what happened in Jerusalem, okay? Again, I'm speaking the truth in love to you. I don't have anything personally against anybody that goes to one. This is the funny thing that I find about many people that I know who do attend a megachurch or a huge several thousand member church or even less than that. You'll find that they have little splinter groups of Sunday school groups or different Bible study groups of, you know, 15 to 30 or 40 or 50 people. Well, that's no different than a little miniature church within a bigger church. You get that? So don't let those numbers just overwhelm you and think, oh, you know, we're just not what we should be because we're not doing that. God never intended that. And furthermore, and this might sound just a little snarky, (laughs) I challenge anybody that goes to one of those churches to try to get the head pastor, the CEO on the phone. I challenge them. Can't do it. It's not going to happen. They're too busy. Enough said about that. Notice the pattern of evangelism was they gathered 20 to 25,000 people. And then persecution comes along. I skipped over Acts, the seventh chapter, I believe it is, where Stephen is murdered. And Saul, as you read in Acts 8, was consenting. He was complicit. He was a conspirator in the death of Stephen, one of the first deacons. Stephen only preached one message. (laughs) And we find him being murdered for that message. Martyred and murdered. Now, Stephen saw Christ as the Lord opened heaven and Christ was there greeting Stephen into heaven. So what a glorious exit from this world, even though it was terrible how they murdered him. Now, then it says in Acts 8, you see it's building up to a point to where the Jews and these people that are in control of the politics are so fed up with the way that this new truth is spreading 
about Jesus and the resurrection, they, some of them won't even say his name until they finally say, we're going to end this. And they begin to, by, taking, by falsely taking laws and twisting laws, they begin to stamp out, try to stamp out. But the problem is, it's just like, have you ever, have you ever walked in a, in a dusty area? <laughs> you know, and when you, I, I can remember working on the farm on some dry, dusty days. We might be building fences, or it might be in a chicken house. And it was so dry and so dusty that every time you take a step, it just poof. You know, it's just like a, just a poof of of dust and you know try could you gather that back in and put it back where it was there's no way or what about a a cup of water you know have you ever spilled a cup of water and then tried to get all the water back into the cup you know what if you spill it out in the in the dirt there's no way that you can get all of it back in they were persecuting the church of god and they were just causing it to scatter you see so they gathered and they got the information that they needed about Jesus and about the church and from the apostles and then they scattered under persecution back out into the different places that they came from you may recall in Acts the second chapter it says there were about 18 or so nations represented there on the day of Pentecost 18 different languages that means 18 different groups of people that were from 18 different countries or regions so they went back and they began to they scattered back to where they came from And when they scattered, they began to gather people by personal evangelism. Listen, in the charge yesterday that Brother David Crawford shared in Brother John Morgan's ordination, it was a a wonderful charge. One of the things that he mentioned was about personal evangelism, and he used a a statistic. Now, most of the time, I'm getting stuff from Brother David. You know, I, I freely admit it. He's got some good stuff. And most of the time I'm getting stuff. But I want y'all to know that we're there yesterday. He got that from me. <laughs> he finally got something from me. <laughs> and it wasn't even mine. Somebody else gave it to me. But this is what was said. And this is, this is the fact. A dear brother, of friend of mine in another state shared with me recently that 60%, 60% of the primitive Baptist churches in that state have closed their doors in the last 10 years. 60%. And you could look to Georgia, you could look to Mississippi, you could look to Florida, you could look to Alabama. I just want you to understand that what you've got here and what God has blessed you with here is is somewhat of an, an enigma in terms of the way things are going across the nation. And listen, it's not just primitive Baptists either. It's more than just primitive Baptists. But because I am a primitive Baptist, that concerns me a lot. <laughs> but it's more, you know, Christianity is just on the downslide. Okay, and among primitive Baptists, it's probably like a boulder going even faster, you know. So don't think for a second, brothers and sisters and young brothers and sisters, especially who have grown up in this amazing environment. This should be the norm. It should be. But it's not. It's just not. One of the reasons it's not is because of a lack of understanding of personal evangelism. They gathered, then they scattered And when they scattered, they scattered together. They brought people in, okay? So I was thinking about the famous quote by the Lutheran pastor Martin Niemöller from Germany in the days when Hitler was on the rise. And this, you may have heard this quote, and it registers in my mind in terms of the environment that we're in, the culture that we're in today. This pastor said, first they came for the socialists, And I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, 
and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. What you have in the pattern of Nazi Germany is a failure, complete failure in personal evangelism. And I'm not sitting here telling you, well, it's going to be like that. I mean, it could be. Who knows? But the time, as I've told you time and time again, the time now is to speak out. In love, if you don't have love in your heart and you don't know how to speak the truth in love, then don't speak. (laughs) Because you will cause more harm than good. And you say, well, I want to know more about that. Well, then we'll set up an appointment and we'll talk about it. (laughs) Talking to you a little bit about it here today. How do you do that? Speak the truth in love. Speak it in love, not in criticism and not in anger or being mad or upset. If you don't understand speaking the truth in love, then don't speak. It causes more trouble than you could cause good. So you see, the time to speak is now. And listen, not just about hot topics that are out there in the world today like pro-life or pro-death or biblical marriage. Those are all things that, yes, it's time to speak in a loving way about those things. But you understand the platform that you have to speak is personal evangelism. The people you know. You see? You say, I know this person has a different view than I do. If you have a relationship with that person, you should be able to speak with that person. Now, they may not like what you say, but if you speak it in love, they can at least know that you're speaking it in love. You see? So that is the pattern from the Word of God is that they went one-on-one with people when they went back to their communities. And the word scatter, it means to sow, like you're sowing seed. Now let me just say this, because I don't want you to feel any pressure whatsoever. And I think I'm preaching to the choir here. Praise God, we continue to have new folks to the truth of grace and understanding what it means. So it doesn't hurt to be reminded of these things and it doesn't hurt to continue to teach these things. There is no pressure when it comes to personal evangelism about whether or not the person you're dealing with is going to go to heaven or go to hell. <laughs> There's no pressure. Isn't that great? That's a big pressure, is it not? I think about Brother Luke. Man, he's a go-getter. <laughs> and back when he believed a different way, Sister Tiffany and Brother Luke can testify too, he was a go-getter. When he believed that what he said or who he interacted with can make a difference on whether that person wound up in the lake of fire or in heaven. Let me tell you, that's pressure. And he was a go-getter, was he not? (laughs) Those of you that have heard him tell his stories. As much of a go-getter as I am, I am so glad that I don't believe that way. Because I would not be standing here talking to you people that I'm certain are going to heaven. I'd be out there somewhere knocking on doors, doing something out in the world, trying to keep these people from going to hell. That is pressure. And think about how few people that are in that system of belief really believe it because Christianity is on the downslide. If you really believe that, you should stop spending money on anything but evangelism. You should stop spending time on anything but trying to keep people from burning in hell. You see that? If you follow it out to its logical conclusion, the only conclusion that you can come to is if I'm on the way to heaven and I'm already one of God's, well, then I'm just going to starve myself. I'm going to die evangelizing people so I'll keep them out of the lake of fire. (laughs) And then when I get to heaven, God will come up to me and pat me on the back and say, you did a good job keeping all those people out of hell. (laughs) If you follow it out to its logical conclusion, that's the only place you can go. So listen, pressure's off of you. We're not talking about keeping people out of hell. The Lord Jesus Christ, He is sufficient to have done that. (laughs) 
So there's no pressure. Romans 1 and 16, when it speaks of the gospel, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, as I've said many times, not into salvation, but unto salvation to everyone that will make a choice for Christ. No, it says to everyone that believeth. And the only person that believes is one who's been given the Spirit of God. You see that? It's so easy to see that. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. Now watch this. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. It doesn't say the righteousness of God is implanted or imparted. It says that righteousness is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith. You see? So when you share in personal evangelism, you're just dealing with another child of God, you see the fruit of the Spirit in them, and you're just dealing with another child of God trying to give them correct information. That's all it is, you see? Look at 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. These are very familiar verses of Scripture when it comes to understanding the purpose of the gospel because that's what we're talking about sharing, sharing the true gospel. And if you look at verse 9, it says, God who has saved us, God who has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest. That means bring to light by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, it doesn't say that He brought life and immortality to life. That would be the gospel imparting eternal life to someone when they hear it preached. This is an old Baptist tenet for hundreds of years. It's not the gospel that gives you life. It's the gospel that gives you light. You see, that's a big difference. Y'all have heard this before. Many times I would go into the house and Sister Tracy would rearrange the furniture and I'd fall over something, you know, because I couldn't see where it was. I needed a light. And I would flip the light on many times to make sure where stuff had been moved and I wouldn't trip over it. It would be absurd for me to tell you, well, you know, when I flipped that light on, all that furniture was put in place. That doesn't make any sense, does it? The light just shows me where it is. The gospel is the light that just shows you where God is. That's why in the book of Colossians that he says, Paul says, preach the gospel. And he speaks of the gospel telling you that Christ is in you, the hope of glory, not trying to get in you. All right. I don't want to belabor that, but I want to show you one more place because you walk away from personal evangelism with someone and they maybe they don't agree or they reject it or say, ah, that sounds crazy. Don't ever think that because you fail to evangelize good enough Oh no, that person's going to burn in the lake of fire. That will never happen. No object of Christ's love will ever burn in the lake of fire. Isn't that wonderful to know? Doesn't that take the pressure off? And doesn't this emphasize why we should engage in personal evangelism? We're not keeping people out of hell. We're telling God's children on the way to heaven how they're getting there. 1 Peter 1. This is a big one right now that a lot of people trip up on. 1 Peter 1. Now look at verse 23. Now Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. Now there's people that believe that the gospel is what gives you life. And they say, oh, they receive right there. Wait a minute, right there. That's where the gospel, that's talking about the gospel. It's going to give you life. It's going to born you again. Listen to what it says. And you tell me if what we look at here sounds like this book right here, which this is the gospel, this book, this corruptible book that I could leave out in outside and it would decay and wash away and fade away and rot. 
You see if that word that we're about to talk about sounds like this book right here. Because that's the gospel. That's where we get it. It's the word right here. And also, you say, well, it's talking about speaking to someone. Okay, well, then you look at me and you think about me and whether or not I am corruptible and I could eventually die and rot away. (laughs) Okay? He says, you are born again, not of corruptible seed. This word right here is corruptible. It can be burnt. It can be buried and and fossilized over a number of years. turned into stone, rock. (laughs) fossil out but of incorruptible you're born again by the word of god which liveth and abideth forever you see when you read in the word of god you got to make sure that you know that when he says he speaks the word word is he talking about john 1 where he says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us where he says in the beginning was the word you think my little king james translation bible was there at the beginning I'm telling you, that word, as John said, is the Son of God. That is Jesus that it's talking about. Jesus is incorruptible. Jesus is living and abiding forever. That's how you're born again. It's the Spirit of Christ that touches you, independent and away from the gospel, you see. Somebody might say, well, you're just straining at a gnat, Brother Tim. I hope I'm not, and I don't want to be. But I think there's a lot of people that are swallowing a camel when it comes to this. Because they think that the gospel, if we don't get it to that poor person that's lost over there, who's a goat, if we don't get the gospel there and it gets them born again, then they're not going to make it. When Christ said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Everyone that's in the covenant of redemption, whether they ever hear the gospel or not, and immediately when I say that, somebody says, oh, well, then you just don't think it's important. (laughs) You're a living testimony that it's important. But we just got to know what it's for, you see? Me preaching the gospel will not put one more person in heaven. But me preaching the gospel will cause children of God to rejoice and have a better time while they're here on this earth. You see that? So the Word here is Christ. You say, well, that's just your opinion, Brother Tim. It's the Scripture. It's the context. Watch this. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God. That's Jesus. By Jesus which liveth and abideth forever. Jesus lives and abides forever. For all flesh is grass. That's me. That's you. And all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. Watch this now. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. You say, well, you still hadn't convinced me, Brother Tim. Watch this. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Did y'all catch that? He says, the gospel is telling you about this word that endures forever, that is living and abiding forever, (laughs) that can never die. You, You get the distinction. Aren't you glad Peter made that distinction? He says, I'm talking to you about the word, Jesus, who lives and abides forever. And I'm my gospel that I'm preaching to you tells you about that capital W word. You see, if you just take it in the context... It is such a pressure reliever. But there's children of God today thinking that if we don't get that word that lives and abides forever, and they think it's this right here, or they think it's the spoken word, if we don't get it to them, they're going to burn. They're going to die. Let me tell you, you can pretty much get a number, a general number of the people that have heard the gospel since the days of Jesus Christ. You can, you can trace the flow of the gospel through the different countries, and you can say, well, estimate this many or that many, and you could come up with a number of people generally that have heard the gospel because you can see where the gospel has gone to. 
And yet the Lord says in His Word, my people, my chosen, my elect are like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. There's way more people that have existed that have never heard the gospel. And furthermore, what about the people before Christ? You see, there was no gospel in those days. Thank goodness we read in the book, the Word of God, that it says that Jesus' blood covered the hinder seed, (laughs) that which came before, and it also covered that which was yet to come, which was you, by the way. (laughs) Isn't that great? Listen, probably stayed on that just a little too long. But I want you to understand, when you do this personal evangelism, when you engage in sharing the Word of God, whether it's the truth about pro-life or or pro-death, or the truth about biblical marriage, or the truth about salvation by grace, when you share that, understand there is never an eternal consequence involved. Christ has covered the eternal consequence. So moving along, you say, you say what's the big deal? It's like taking some credit for something you didn't do. Sometimes in a joking way, you know, I'll say, we have lunch, and I'll say, yeah, come on, come and eat well, what I've prepared. I ain't prepared nothing, <laughs> you know? You dear sisters and brothers and Sister Tracy, y'all, you know, if I really pushed that, I was like, yeah, 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 I'm taking credit for it. That'd make somebody mad. (laughs) How do you think God feels when men and and women take credit for what he's done? You see, it's off base. It's off kilter. We're we're not sharing the possibility of salvation with people. We're sharing the reality of salvation with people. That's a big difference. I don't want to take credit for something that I didn't do. Something that I couldn't do. You understand? There's only one that could do it, and it's Christ. So look at Colossians 3. Look at Colossians 3 as we consider the subject of gathering, scattering, and then scatter to gather. Colossians 3. And I want you to think about this. This is the pattern when it comes to spreading the Word of God. Let's read verse 16. Notice what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you don't have the word of Christ dwelling in you richly, don't even set out on this journey. (laughs) Let it dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I believe you did that here this morning. Praise God. I believe we did that yesterday and Friday. And he says, watch this verse 17 now. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So what we have before us in personal evangelism is word or deed ministry. Listen, don't try to share the word of God with someone until you know what it says. You know, don't try to say, okay, well, You know, I want to share this that I've learned with you. Learn it. I had a preacher come to me one time and say, Brother Tim, I'm not real sure about this subject, but I really feel like I need to preach on it. And I said, Brother, don't ever preach on it until you understand it, because if you don't understand it, don't expect anybody else to. Learn it yourself first. I remember when the Lord recalled me to preach, and I was thinking, what am I going to say? I had a lot that I wanted to say. I had a lot built up inside me that I wanted to share, but I didn't know exactly what it was or where maybe the verse was located. So apply yourself. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Understand what you believe as a primitive Baptist. You see? I was thinking yesterday as we shared the articles of faith from Zion, and I questioned Brother John Morgan. That's what we do in the ordination services, question the candidate. It's not because we don't know what he believes. It's because we want everybody else to hear what he believes and also it to be a public record of it, you know? 
And so we went down one by one on these articles of faith. Now listen to this. this. These are so simple. I want you to hear. The reason I'm doing Zion's articles of faith is because that's where Bethlehem came from. We need to understand that there is one true and living God and there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and those three are one. That's, that's article one. We need to believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice and the King James translation is the translation of God's Word into English. We need to believe that. You want to know why we don't add stuff to the church or to the worship? It's because Baptists have always generally viewed if the scripture was silent on something, then we don't add it. See? Now, there's a lot of people out in the world that just don't believe that. And they add left and right, left and right, things to the church. Well, I believe God has set it up the way that it pleases him, and we don't need to add anything to it. Now, I joked and told him yesterday that, the, you know, the Word of God doesn't say that you can't build a bar onto the side of the church building. It doesn't prohibit you from building a bar. So let's build a bar, right, and sell drinks. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? Why don't we build a bar? that joins the church and sell drinks because the, the Word of God doesn't say that we can't. <laughs> you see how you could take that to so many extremes and you're lost, you see? Baptists have always generally, if it, if it doesn't say you can, then we don't. You see that? Why? Because the King James Bible is the only rule of faith and practice. That's something that's so needed today, child of God, because... Truth in many circumstances is just relative to whatever you want it to be. But I believe that there is a truth that you can sink your teeth into and build your life upon. And it's found in the Word of God. Amen. We believe in the doctrine of election, predestination, the final perseverance of the saints through grace, and that God chose His people in Christ before the world began. It would be a good idea to learn that before you started talking to somebody about it, right? We believe in the doctrine of original sin. That's Adam's sin and the impotency of man's recovery in and of himself from the fallen state in which he is in by nature. Original sin, total depravity. You have to start with the beginning. And if you start with the sin in the Garden of Eden, you see that man is corrupt and he cannot recover himself from his condition. He doesn't even know that he needs to recover himself. See? How many times have you ever driven by the graveyard and heard the dead people shouting to get out? That would be scary if they were. Now, it kind of freaks me out when I ride by and I see those crosses glowing at night. That's kind of scary to me. <laughs> I think about the old story that I was told as a child about the child's cry that the fellow heard walking home that night coming from the graveyard. Oh, that, those crosses glowing and different things out there kind of remind me of that. If you hear somebody yelling from the graveyard, you need to go get a shovel and help dig them out. Dead people don't know they're dead. You get that? They don't know they're dead. They don't know that they need God. They've got to have something done to them in order to even understand. And then it's, it's like, it's so funny because then when God touches a person, then they say, I need help, <laughs> right? You don't know you need help until God touches you. Look at Paul on the road to Damascus. He didn't know he needed help until God born him again. And then he said, I need help. <laughs> well, you know what? The funny thing about that, the paradox of that is you've already got all the help you need from God. <laughs> See? We need to believe in the doctrine of original sin. We believe that sinners are justified only in the sight of God by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only way that we have righteousness is that the lamb had his skin removed. The lamb's flesh was torn. And the lamb's flesh, Christ, his flesh was imposed upon you. And his blood was imputed to you. So when God looks at Jesus, 
He understands that He paid for your unrighteousness. And when He looks at you, He sees Christ's righteousness. That's the imputed righteousness of Christ. See? And we believe that God's elect shall be called and regenerated and sanctified by the Holy Ghost. That's the new birth. It's the work of God. That's what we've been talking about here this morning. It's not the gospel that mourns you again. And the last couple articles are baptism and the Lord's Supper being the ordinances of the church. Baptism by immersion being the only proper mode. And then the last one is we believe in a resurrection of the dead and a general judgment that all people will rise from the graves one day and the wicked will be cast into the lake of fire and the children of God, the chosen of God, which is a number out of every uh, kindred tongue, people, and nation as the stars of the skies, the sands of the sea, they'll go to the place that God has prepared for them in heaven. It, you know, the reason I read that and share that's only eight articles. That's not that much to digest. <laughs> now, there's a lot of other things to digest in the Word of God. Praise God. But that's the simple, basic understanding of what we believe. So we need to know. We need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. You say, well, I'm not real clear on that one point, Brother Tim. Then ask me. We'll get you clear. <laughs> you see? We'll clear it up. It's very clear. These are the simple doctrine. This is the basics right here. This is not the meat. This is not about how husbands are to honor their wives and wives are to submit to their husbands and children are to obey their parents and masters are to be good to their servants. That's the meat of the Word of God. Trying to figure out the way we should act. The milk of the Word of God is just the basic teaching like we've gone over right here. So, listen. We have a word and deed ministry. Understand the Word before you share it. And understand what it means so that you can share it. But I want you to think about Word ministry and I want you to think about deed ministry. Okay? I have a relationship with each of you. And so it would be very easy based on that relationship for me to sit down with you and say, hey, I want to share the Word of God with you. I want to tell you about this part of the Word of God. You would be very receptive to that. But the guy at five points dressed like a cowboy holding up the Jesus sign, you know, which I always honk for him. I do. I mean, I'm glad I see him out there holding. I honk for him. Hey, way to go, man. But I don't have a relationship with him to sit down with him and say, now, you know, Jesus man with the sign, tell me about this. You see, as a matter of fact, I personally don't think that that does a whole lot of good other than me honking my horn. <laughs> think about it. I want to sit down when I have a relationship with you and I'll share the Word of God with you. I'll share the Word. That's Word ministry. If you come here and you're a member of this church or you attend this church, you should feel comfortable enough in your relationship with me that you could come to me and ask me any question about the Word of God. And among yourselves, knowing each other, loving each other. That's why he says singing and admonishing one another. There might be a time where each other have to go to one another in word and say, hey, you know, it's me. You know me, and here's what I'm here for. <laughs> you get it? That's word ministry. Now, deed ministry is a whole other area. This is beyond people that you're connected with and have a personal relationship with. This is out there in the community. When you go to your workplace, when you go to your school as a student, deed ministry, guess what? If you're carrying out Deeds are just acts, how you live, how you act. If you're, if you're honoring God in deed, then you're going to open the door to word ministry. You get that? You're going to open that door. Because somebody will see, think about how you got here. Think about how, you think about your own personal situation and how you got here. You know, most likely, 
somebody said something or maybe you saw somebody act in a certain way and you thought, well, I wonder where they go to church. <laughs> you know, or I wonder what they believe. I, you know, I'd like to ask them a question. There was some, usually some act that occurs and you think, well, how about that? <laughs> I'd like to know more. And then you begin to ask questions. Deed ministry will open up the door for sharing the Word of God. And one of the reasons that this is so important is because Christianity is on a downslide. We do not need to be afraid to live for the Lord. And when the questions come or when the door is open, talk about the Word of God. It is what delivers the child of God in this life. It's what's delivered me here to you today. Years ago, somebody did that with me and talked to me about the Word of God. Praise God they did. Or I wouldn't be here. It was that personal, I saw the acts of that person. I saw how their deeds. And then the questions came. What about this? What about that? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I stand before you today because of deed and word ministry. Somebody who had been scattered gathered me. You get that? You are scattered in the communities, in your workplaces. You are scattered so that you can gather. You say, well, I just don't know anybody. That's no excuse because this is deeds. See, you can just act in a godly way. And the next thing you, you're going to know somebody. <laughs> That's the way it works. Listen, in every single person under the sound of my voice, in your workplace, in your school, in your, where you go and do the things that you do, we ought, all of us, be able to convert or introduce at least the Word of God to at least one person. <laughs> but if you're living in such a way that you don't have the acts or the deed to back up what you believe you can never expect to convert or teach or, or gain anyone, see? You'll never gather anyone if you're living like the rest of the world, see? You'll never. And listen, this is not just about numbers. It's not just, oh, we, we got to get more numbers. L listen to me. When you think about the size of this church, the church historically has always been gathering and scattering. Think about that. It ought to be our goal as a church to gather enough people that we can scatter some over here and start another church somewhere. Is that not what we did with Zion? As a matter of fact, when we scattered to Zion, I thought, well, we're going to lose some of our folks, you know, because some folks are just going to go up there to Zion. We, didn't, we, we lost Brother Mackey. <laughs> That's the only person that we lost to Zion. Because it was like the Lord just kind of poof, just popped open a can of people up there at the church at Zion and they grew just amazingly quickly. I thought, well, we'll share some of our people up there with Zion. And we didn't share anyone but Brother Mackey. He was a good one to share, wasn't he? I'm telling you, he was, he was a, been a blessing to them for sure. But understand what I'm saying. We gather so that we can scatter. Have you thought about other areas in our West Alabama area that, that there might be a church or there might could be a church? The only way that ever happens is that we gather and we scatter. And when those persons are scattered, they scatter together. <laughs> Think about it. God did not intend for us to be a 500 or 1,000 member church. As a matter of fact, 500,000 folks won't fit in here. You know that we have to build a bigger building. <laughs> but when they were scattered from Jerusalem, they went back to their little towns and they began to gather people. You know how they did it? They did it by word and they did it by deed. I'll tell you this, I've had a lot more opportunities to share the word of God just based on 
somebody observing me or doing this or doing that. And look, you say, well, that's all for the preachers. No, it's not. No, it's not. It might be as unnoticeable, which is very noticeable. It might be as small as somebody winning a Christian character award on a tennis team. It might be two young men who two years in a row, they're the only two that the coach called on to pray at the end of every single practice. Two young men from this church, two years in a row. You think that's a coincidence? You say, well, they didn't convert a whole lot of people. Well, not yet, because you never know when those things come back. Right, brothers, sisters, you never know when they come back. Years down the road, somebody looks back and says, you know, I remember old so-and-so. They used to pray after every practice. (laughs) I wonder what they're doing. I wonder where they go to church. (laughs) Not trying to single out anybody here, but I praise God for those type of deeds. You hear me? It could be that for a high school person. It could be you in your workplace where maybe you've gone in year after year and you've laid down the law and you've shown no mercy and you've said, you know, and then finally you start showing mercy because you think every day of your life that God's shown mercy to you. You ought to start showing mercy. Or it might be in a place like where I work where whenever the dirty jokes start flying and when the cussing matches get started, you know, I'm just going to disappear. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to stand in front of them and rebuke them to their face. You know, they, they'd probably punch me in the nose. I'm just going to disappear. Well, where'd he go? I'm not going to stay in there and listen to that. You see, moms, dads, <laughs> it will be in your own homes. That is a place for deed evangelism, especially when the, the young fellas get in their teens and everybody kind of goes a little bit crazy in their teens, right? Everybody does. <laughs> You know, they think, like I thought, my dad doesn't know anything, but he knew more than than anybody. (laughs) And you never know where that deed that you did, where you lovingly interacted with one another and dealt in a loving way with one another and were patient with each other, you never know where that deed right there may come back and give you word ministry with your own child. You see? So the bottom line is keep focusing on personal evangelism. You say, well, this person will never be interested in church. That's the person that probably will be. (laughs) I've seen it happen time and time again. I haven't shared this example in a long time, and I know there's some people here that have never heard it, but years ago we tried a case, my brother and I, of a father-in-law whose son-in-law shot him in the head, took a pistol, point blank, shot him in the head. Hard-headed fella, didn't kill him. (laughs) I thought, you know, that guy would make a good hard-headed old Baptist, you know. (laughs) The bullet didn't kill him. So we tried that case, and I got to know that victim through that case, and he was somewhat eccentric. And, you know, that's another reason I thought he'd be a good old Baptist. He's kind of eccentric, you know, a little strange. (laughs) And so I got to know him through that case and began to do Bible studies with him and talk with him and so forth. And some time went by, he began to come to church after that case had ended where his son-in-law had shot him in the head. (laughs) And so on one particular Sunday, about two years after that happened, after the trial was over and so forth, the week before, the fella comes to me and he says, hey, guess what? My son-in-law's coming to church this Sunday. And I was like, do you mean the one that shot you in the head? <laughs> and he was like, that one. And I thought to myself, that's going to be an interesting Sunday. You know, I got victim and I got defendant coming to church. So I'm standing in behind this pulpit and defendant, father-in-law sitting back there. He's still got the scar on his head where he got shot in the head. And son-in-law, who was convicted of shooting him in the head of attempted murder, sitting behind him. If you want to know how he was out, the father-in-law had asked for mercy for his sentence. That's how he got out. (laughs) So he's sitting behind him, and I'm the prosecutor for the case. I'm up in the pulpit. 
And lo and behold, about halfway through the song service, the defense attorney who had defended the boy that had shot his father-in-law in the head had been coming to church sporadically, and he walked in. <laughs> here comes the defense attorney, and he sits over here. So I'm standing here in the pulpit, prosecutor. Here's defense attorney. Here's victim in the case. And there is defendant right behind him that shot him in the head. <laughs> and I was just thinking, <laughs> well, this is interesting. Where's the judge? The judge was on the throne watching over that with a smile on his face. Now, that never happened again. Sadly, both son-in-law and that father-in-law, they're both dead today. They died sometime years later. But on that one Sunday, the Lord taught me something about personal evangelism. You think bridges can't be rebuilt? You think forgiveness can't come? I'm telling you, God can do anything if He could bring that pattern together. And you say, well, I've been holding out and not forgiven, and I'm, I'm just, you know, let me tell you something. Has anybody shot you in the head? <laughs> if that guy could forgive his son-in-law for shooting him in the head and trying to kill him, there is nothing that you can't forgive. Amen. And furthermore, you got to look a little further beyond that, to the judge in heaven who has forgiven you of so much that should have put you in the lake of fire, but because it was laid upon the Son of God and He bore your shame and your sin, then you have been forgiven. Personal evangelism. It needs to be an undercurrent, a driving force in our lives. We gather, we scatter, and then when we scatter, we gather other people in. May the Lord bless you. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism, would like to gather themselves, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.